0: 1 Timothy chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Uh, this is a, a significant day, and, and I hope it is for you as well. I would say it's, it's clearly a significant day for us as a church. We have transitioned from the book of Genesis, which was a wonderful study in the question of where did we come from and what is important and what, do we, what, are, what are we doing with the problems in this world. And more than that, it set forth this covenant people of God, that the idea that redemption one day would come to the whole world, those are the promises we found in Genesis. And what we're doing now is we're fast-forwarding, and you probably see this even visually in your Bibles, we're fast-forwarding way nearer to the end of the story. And in 1 Timothy, we find not only a group of people who had heard about the promise of redemption, but they've received it. There are churches that have spawned up all over the known world or this, I say, known world, known to these these people in the Near East. And what is happening here in 1 Timothy is a letter, which is the common way that the instruction of God's teaching, of the truth of the gospel, was going to be preserved. The Spirit of God moved through men to record not only their encouragements and exhortations, but the glories of the gospel. So, 1 Timothy is one of these letters written by the Apostle Paul that is not only for the specific context in which it was written, but our belief and our source of encouragement, our hope this morning is to realize that when Paul was writing this, moved by the Spirit of God, it was also to us. It was a window into our souls and into our day so that we would know how to live in light of the gospel that we've received. So my hope is that 1 Timothy is timely for us, that we've prayed through the issues that we are facing, that we've considered the condition of our own heart, our own souls, that when we say we're a church, that these words would help to instruct us to be more faithful in what that means. Because this is a first week, in many ways this is a kind of introduction to the book. So we want to pause a little bit, or at least be slow at the outset to make sure we understand what's happening, both the particulars of the context as well as who is writing and the purpose. And so it should be pretty clear how we're going to walk through this this morning, how we're going to think about this. But let me just say it out loud. We have given a title to this series called Order in the House. And I want to take some time and to say why we've called it this or what we're going to find in 1 Timothy that lines up with that concept. So, what we're going to find this morning is a purpose, and I I wanted to find that. I I can't say we're going to do a 1 Timothy series and say it's it's called Order in the House without addressing, well, why did we call it that? We're also going to discuss and consider, maybe maybe be reacquainted with the Apostle Paul. So, we're going to get a character sketch, uh, a short character sketch of the Apostle Paul because he is the one that is, is writing. Likewise, we're going to get a sketch of Timothy, the recipient of this letter. This is a, a case where a letter in our Bible is aptly named. This is the first recorded letter that we have of Paul to Timothy, so it's called First Timothy. And we're gonna get a character sketch of Timothy. What was he like? And what was he doing? What was his job, and how did he interact with this letter that he's received? Or maybe why does he receive a letter at all? And then I want to give some ideas or some things to be looking for, some signposts for us. So, we'll explain the the title of the series. We'll get a character sketch of Paul. We'll get a character sketch of Timothy and describe how they interact with one another, why I got the letter. And then finally, I'm going to offer to you what I believe to be the themes of 1 Timothy. What will we find over the next number of months together? There's six chapters here, and Paul's his heartbeat, his desires for this church, and for Timothy who's, who's ministering in this church, he, he has some concerns, so there's going to be themes. And all of them are going to be, the way that I introduce them, around this concept of ordered. So, there will be themes that Paul says need to have some order to them, and that's what we're going to look at. So, let's read the first two verses uh, to get us started here. We'll read the first two verses, and then I'm going to skip ahead and read a couple of verses in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well, and that's how we'll get started. This is 1 Timothy, first chapter, first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful way to end that. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to pause here and I'm going to put a pin in it because this is going to give us the the framework for our introduction to Paul and to Timothy and why he's writing the letter. But before I opine on why Paul writes the letter, uh, I want to tell you that we have some good news. We don't have to guess and we don't have to surmise or speculate why Paul wrote this letter, and here's why. Because he tells us. One of the most helpful things is when the author of a letter tells us what it means. It would solve a lot of our problems in literature class if we just had moments where the author said, well, here's why. But in order to get to here's why and to explain the title of our sermon series, we need to turn to the third chapter of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy. Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 14 14 and 15 to give you an idea. So, Paul is sending out this letter. We know in his salutation at the beginning, his introduction at the beginning, that it's him writing to Timothy, and here is a succinct reason why. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon. He's always longing for personal connection. In that way, we get him. He's always longing for personal connection. He wants to be there with them, but he says, I'm writing these things because if I delay and I can't get to you, I want you to know something. I want you to know how you ought to behave. A alternate title for this series was, Oh, Behave. <laughs> behave. How to behave, and then not just to behave, but how to behave in the household of God. In other words, what Paul wants to tell Timothy is, I'm going to give you some parameters or some, some lines to walk on, some guidelines, some ideas about how you ought to interact in this God-ordained, God-directed thing we call the church. How should we behave? And what happens is that First Timothy is going to deal with all kinds of issues, the kind of human issues that we're all familiar with. There's falsehood, there's wrong-headed thinking, there's pride, there's desires of the flesh, there are problems in family relationships, there's all these kind of things, and so Paul says, let me set down for you how you should behave. Many of these things have to do with the law, this standard that's been set up, and how should we interact with this? And so, as we thought through, well, what is the purpose that Paul has been writing to Timothy, I thought of a particular moment. There was a particular moment that came to mind. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the phrase, order in the house. But particular moment came to my mind that it happened a number of weeks ago, on a day of perhaps the most undignified chaos, at least civil chaos that we've seen in our lifetime. And as I followed the news, a number of weeks back, when we're, there was supposed to be an orderly now of course, the context surrounding it was anything but orderly, but at least in that particular moment In Congress, in the House of Representatives, there's supposed to be an orderly discussion according to a standard set down for a transfer of power in our nation. And there was anything but order on this particular day. And I remembered a scene, so I'm thinking through this, and I remembered a particular scene that I saw. And after the complete and other... otherworldly sort of invasion of the Capitol, when things had sort of settled down a little bit. I saw a a video of a couple of representatives discussing issues, discussing the business of the day. And there was a moment, not unlike history, in fact, many nations and at many times, including America, there has been some I would just say, uh, spirited, political debates. So that part wasn't new, and it wasn't the part that captured my imagination. It went about as you could imagine it. One person stood up and gave a speech, and then another person gave up and said a speech and basically said, you're an idiot, and also not only an idiot, but a liar. Then the other person said, you can't say those things about me. I will fight you. Then the other person said, come over here, and we'll fight. And, And a fight almost broke out on the floor of the house. And there are people having to be separated, and they're rushing across. And, you know, the thing about an ordered house is that you're supposed to have the floor or not have the floor, but there is rubs and yelling and chaos. There's just people running around. They're not, they're not ordered the way that they should be. And there in the background of so this video, I see the speaker of the house with a gavel. And she is slamming it down over and over and over again. You know what she's calling for? you know, she, she she feels like needs to happen. She's yelling, order in the house. There will be order in the house. And she just keeps saying it over and over and over again and slamming this gavel down. And as I read First Timothy chapter 3 and as I think through, well, what is Paul trying to, to get at here? I imagine that he's heard from Timothy. He's heard of the chaos and the confusion and the the constant, we're going we're to see in this letter that there was constant envy and dissension and there were factions and friction in the church. More than that, there was a deluded truth. There were lies that were running rampant. And this letter, in, in a sense, is Paul's attempt to look out over a church that in many ways had become disordered people unfamiliar with the standards that have been set down, not knowing how to position themselves, speaking out of turn. In many ways, I view this as Paul's attempt. Now, he does it sometimes powerfully in a way that feels like a yell, and other times very tactfully and graciously. But nonetheless, I view this letter in many ways as a gavel. This is Paul, through the Spirit of God, crying out, to all who would listen, to arrest their attention, and for him to, with some authority, tap down. To say, order in the house. And and a couple things that are necessary for us to receive this. First, we need to be willing to consider order. Order in that, that word as a, as a concept. And I think one of the biggest hurdles that we're going to find as we start to read 1 Timothy is whether or not, this is one of the first hurdles, whether or not we have properly assessed and dealt with the very real rejection of order in our lives. The, the spirit of our age, the, the the cultural, the zeitgeist, this this sort of thing. Maybe it's not written down as much as as it is that we catch it and we feel it, but one of the main things that marks our day is the idea that freedom for us will be a rejection of order, that self-definition is the bee's knees, and that's what we need. So, the idea that Paul would be throwing down the gavel, and calling everyone's attention back and to say, this is how we ought to live, the first thing that we're going to need as a church and what we ought to be praying for is, God, would you deal with the spirit of autonomy in me and help me to see that authority and order and structure, that those are God's measures, his means of giving me freedom and living a life that I ought to be living, rather than what is so easy to do, which is to fall into the idea that order or authority or limits or hierarchy or obligations or respect, that those things ought to be rejected. In fact, many of these things, hierarchy, or really any archy. I think we could say it that way, right? Just fill in the blank archy. That is basically, you might as well be prepared for, it's like a curse word. It's to be rejected. We, we, need to, we need to throw off the chains of limits. I remember reading, I read a lot about parenting as we were having children, you know, and the, the thing that'll make you study a subject is, is complete and utter desperation and sleeplessness and panic. That's what what was theoretical before Then a nurse hands you a child and says, leave now. So, you read a lot. And I remember thinking, well, I I don't know, all truth is God's truth, so I'm just going to go out and read. And And I stumbled upon what I believe to be one of the most chaotic, crazy ideas that I've ever heard. There was a family psychologist who had done studies and was trying to promote the idea of democratically driven families. In other words, I read stories of families where parents were panicked because they had two children and they were only two people and everything they did was a vote. So the kids could filibuster what was happening in the family. Now that is a a crazy and out there idea. And I don't need to tell you that there are crazy, out-there ideas in the world. But that, I believe, has something that we can grasp, a little thread that we could pull out. And I would say this, that there is not much about our day and age. There are not many words, not many places, not many spirits in our day and age where someone is encouraged to pause, to slow down, and to think about our obligations. How often do we write down the roles that we have and think about things like this? Who do I need to line up under? What what authority has God given me in my life so that I can can be up underneath the wisdom that they offer? Simple things like, what what does it mean for me still to be a child? You know, it changes when you were two. It's easy to know what to do with a child. Don't take the cookie. But what about 50-year-old children? How do we honor our parents? What does it even look like? How many of us have really, really thought and how, many, how much of our world's literature presses down the roles and responsibilities that come with being an employee? Now, I'm grateful that we don't have seven year olds in coal mines. So I'm all for, and I get the whole idea of the, the urge of employees having, having rights and employers needing to respect that. But I have worked in so many places where the idea or even the concept of just this simple thing I'm not in charge here, and I need to really think about how do I come underneath. The structure of this place? In other words, what's the order of the place? And, of course, I would say that I believe that Paul's major concern here is that you would consider eternal order. Who is God and what does it mean for me to live under His rule? And then, by extension, what does it mean for me to live under his ordered rule in his house? So the question becomes how do we behave? How do we live? Is this place, either the world that God has given, the families that we're born into, or more specifically, the church, is Are these places and are these relationships sort of nameless, egalitarian, meritocracies with no order, or is it possible? Is it possible for us to find freedom in life in the right relationships that God has given? You know what I'm tempted to do right now? I'm tempted to to caveat away these things by saying the obvious, which is uh, one of the things that we have a problem with order and hierarchy is that those things can be abused, And, and they are sometimes. But that's not this book. Scripture has a lot to say about how not to abuse leadership and order, and it says what to do when you're underneath those kind of evil orders. But those are not our chief concerns now. 1 Timothy is written so that we would be awakened to our responsibilities and to embrace authority and to think about the order of our lives. I want to talk for just a second about, I just gave you the, the series introduction and why we called it this, because he says that I, well, you need to know how to behave. But there is a specific place here, the household of God. That's how Paul describes the church, a household of God. He is concerned with people, you, how you should behave. But then also specifically, he is concerned with the household of God. Now, these are obviously Paul's words, but they're they're moved by the Spirit of God. And the church here is used interchangeably with household. Household. So we have a couple of things going on. This is an introduction to the church. A couple of things going on. Within the body of Christ, there are familial relationships. We call one another brother and sister. There are family connections, but there are also organizational structures. Both of these things are happening at the same time. It is church household, a household church. And so, we're going to see through the letter that sometimes the responsibilities or the relationships that we have are going to, uh, to give us a picture or a window in, this is how it should look because of this. Here's what I mean. This letter is going to give us instruction concerning the leaders of the church. How are they installed and what should they be like and how do we make sure they're not jerks? But also, this letter is going to re- reference very, very clearly relationships within families. How do husbands and wives interact? And what should young men do? And what should young women do? And what do old men do? And what do old women do? All of these relationships, some of them household and some of them organizational, are going to be addressed. So I think that's enough. I mean, I don't want to... What happens when you get to an introduction of a book and you've spent some months thinking about it and then you want to say, well, this is why this is important and we're going to write the letter is that I, I feel strongly about these things, and I and I I hope that in the coming months, that as we walk through the verses, that you get more of the spirit of what is happening here. So that is order in the house. Let me pull back for a few moments and talk back about the f- the first chapter. Or consider the first chapter. And remind you who Paul is as an introduction and how the letter starts. Not only Paul, but Timothy, and then we'll consider themes. This is Paul's letter to Timothy. He introduces himself in the first verse as an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Paul was the leading apostle of the day, one of the most successful missionaries in the history of the Christian church, I'd say the most successful. But in his introduction to these letters, which is some by convention and then some just by uh, sort of his mark, it's the way that he writes, he always introduces himself not only as an apostle, of course, to, to claim the rightful authority he had in writing these things, but also to mention how this came to be. There's a slight variation in the way that he opens this letter. In many other letters, he opens and says that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, but here he says, by the command of God, and I wonder if he is already thinking order. Is it freezing in here? (laughs) Zach, you're the absolute best human being. I mean, you're, you're like top five of people I know. I always see people a little bit cold, and then I have to do this judgment of like, are they just a cold person? But this time it looked, it looked rather collective. <laughs> so Paul introduces himself as an apostle. He often says by the will of God, which I think sort of references, and you get the idea of how he became an apostle. Remember, Paul didn't sign up for this gig. He was knocked to the ground and blinded. And, of course, it was, will, it was God's will that brought him in. But because this letter is going to be about order and about structure and how we behave, I believe that Paul, right at the outset, is reminding Timothy, Paul Paul is saying, I got into this thing because I obeyed. I'm writing to you in obedience. He's reminding him that he has a relationship. Paul is saying, I'm an apostle But he leads his leadership statement by reminding Timothy that he is under authority. So Paul's authority is derivative. And Paul is trying to convince Timothy that the letter itself and his ministry itself is following command. He says, I've become an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Paul's credentials were unquestionable. His background, his successes were well known. He was famous and infamous in many circles, Jewish circles, in the authorities of the day, and then, of course, in the Christian church that he has given his life to build a couple of things about Paul's circumstances in this particular moment. It is likely that these are, when you take them collectively, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, they're often called the pastoral epistles. He writes to those who are ministering in churches. These are likely written near the end of Paul's ministry. I don't know if dating matters all that much to you, but most would say that sometime in the 60s A.D., so decades after the resurrection of jesus paul is writing to help order and to give a kind of mentoring relationship with some of the young men that he has seen grow up and follow in his footsteps one aside to the book of first timothy and this idea of mentoring we'll get to who timothy was in a minute but when I was 17, I had a, a camp experience. Uh, that's what I would just call it. Any of you had a camp experience? You know, <laughs> maybe you were a Christian before, but then you really were Christian at the camp and then after. And uh, I, don't, I don't fault these things. I'm not the kind of person who, who, who says, well, that's just a mountaintop experience and, and sort of downplays it. Because I usually just think, well, yeah, we should be careful that people don't fall off or that it's not false, because sometimes it can be based on experience. But I just wonder, do these people, would they rather that you never have a mountaintop experience? Just live down here in the plains with me forever. And that's what it can feel like. So I'm not saying that. But I was 17, I had a camp experience. And I think that the Spirit of God moved in me in a way where it was lasting. And here's one of the reasons that I knew that is because I felt a conviction that I had not Read nor taken seriously the Bible. I was evangelizing my friends. I was praying a little bit. I was convicted about all kinds of sins. I would argue about minute points of doctrine, but I had never read the Bible. And so I took out a study Bible that my parents had given me years before, and I think I mentioned at one point when I used to be bored in church, I started out with the task of highlighting the entire thing. So that student Bible has many chapters of Genesis, every word highlighted. (laughs) But I took this study Bible and I just started paging through it, and then I landed in an introduction of 1 Timothy. And that introduction of 1 Timothy described Paul as an older man who had a heart for and a love for a young person who wanted to be in ministry, and he was serving as a kind of mentor. And so at the time, I had these rumblings and these stirrings of thinking, am I going to serve? Should I teach? I don't know what's going on. And it was right there in 1 Timothy, because of Paul's relationship as an older man trying to give instruction and care, that I made a commitment and just said, all right, well, I'm just going to start reading my Bible. The first book that I ever read from beginning through to end was 1 Timothy. And the reason that I read it, because of, is of what I saw in the Spirit of the Apostle Paul desiring to help a younger man. And so that's what we should feel here. This is, this is Paul in all of his authority, all of his apostolic, uh, his apostolic glory, but there's also a relational connection and a desire to see. What we're going to find in, in the books of Timothy is, is he actually spells out sometimes. He's saying, I'm, I want you to take the things that I entrusted to you and then pass them on. So, I think that what we could see in Paul is not only his desire for truth and for order, but also his desire nearing the end of his life to see other people faithfully build the church. So, that sketch of Paul, we're going to get more you know, later on about the things that Paul's engaged in in a sketch of his life and all of his impressiveness and an unimpressiveness But I want to move beyond Paul the Apostle under the command of God with a heart to see the church move forward to the object of his writing or his love or his mentoring, and that is Timothy. Timothy is the namesake for the letter, and so we should take a little bit of time getting to know him. Here, he is referred to in a way that is very loving and wonderful. To Timothy, my true child in faith or in the faith. Timothy has been connected to Paul for many years, likely decades by this point. He would have, it seems, come in contact with him when he was a very young child. Now he is a young man, which most people take him as maybe late 20s or around 30. In other words, maybe right around the time that Jesus would have started his public ministry, that is Timothy here. A couple of things about the history of Timothy, specifically Paul's interaction With Timothy. We first hear of Timothy in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It seems that Timothy grew up in a town called Lystra. Here's what Acts 16, 1 says. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. So, this connection that Paul had with Timothy, we realize when he says, My true child in the faith, we ought to say right at the outset, he was not his actual child which I've also read as a crazy conjecture of people who read the Bible. It was not his actual child. Timothy was born to a Jewish woman who was a believer. She will be commended later on for her faith, not only her faith but her grandmother's faith, and a Greek father. This is important because in Timothy's going with Paul later on, he submits himself to circumcision in order to be more effective in ministry or at least to the discussion. And his his Greek father and his Jewish believing mother meant that he had a a likely faithful believing aspect of his home life, and then a non-believing philosophical pagan connection in his home life. I don't know if you grew up in this way, but many, many people have an experience where either at the outset or through the course of time, their parents come to different conclusions spiritually. That's the home that Timothy grew up in. 2 Timothy mentions this. This is 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. Paul tells him, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. There is some speculation that perhaps Paul had evangelized or ministered to Timothy, and it's unlikely to me that he was the source of his conversion, like he maybe proclaimed the gospel the first time and Timothy came, because these verses indicate, one, Acts 16 called him a disciple, and then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're reminded that he grew up in a Christian home, so maybe what happened is that Paul gave clearer instruction, he gave a form or a shape to his faith. And this is one of the first ways I think that Timothy is relatable to us. Not only that he grew up in a home that was not perfectly spiritual and maybe had differing influences, which many of us had, but also the fact that Timothy likely had the seeds of faith, but then later on, as he grew, interacted with and was shaped and formed by an influential mentor who made his faith his own. And this is perhaps one of the most common stories that I hear of people who come to college, for instance, and interact with ministries like Crew or Navigators. There comes a time in every person's life where faith needs to be not a thing that's out there or only up here, but needs to dwell in us. And I could say most certainly the way that this relationship appears that Paul was a source of the the indwelling of Timothy's faith, that he becomes a true child in the faith because Paul has taken him on, and Timothy receives the benefit of the mentoring because he relates rightly to the Apostle Paul. He comes underneath his care and instruction. Now, a couple other things about Timothy. Though he was young, it seems that he was full of talent and zeal. There are numerous instances in the missionary journeys of Paul where Timothy travels with him, More than that, there are numerous letters where Timothy seems to be a co-author almost with the Apostle Paul. You will often find them paired up. He traveled with Paul, he wrote with Paul, he led with Paul, and even represented him in his apostolic ministry often. Philippians chapter 2 verse 22 is one of the times that Timothy is commended by Paul. It says, You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. One person commented that Paul had chosen Timothy or wrote to him not only because of his faithfulness doctrinally, but because of their close relationship. A few of the places that we find, and we won't see them on the screen, after have to read them, but a few of the places that we know for sure they travel together. Thessalonica, it's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. They were in Corinth together, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. They were in Jerusalem together, according to Acts chapter 20. And Timothy was the one that stayed by Paul's side most closely during his entire imprisonment in Rome, according to Philippians chapter 2. So this is not flattery in the beginning of a letter. When he says to Timothy, my true child, he means this. This is a decades-long, time-tested, steadfast relationship. Now, despite all of Timothy's his strengths, we also note, and we're going to see that he probably has some weaknesses as well. I mentioned before that he's relatable in the sense that he grew up in a home that had the seeds of faith but was later steadied in that faith by his relationship with Paul. He had zeal for ministry and went out and led in all these ways, but there are going to be a lot of hints that Timothy was the kind of person who perhaps could be prone to discouragement and fear and was maybe a little bit timid. So he had talents and he had zeal and he had the command to go do ministry, but maybe naturally he did not feel very willing. It's been commented before that Timothy by nature, in contrast to Paul, was not a, and I love this phrase, he was not a missionary commando. He's not as intimidating in his words as the Apostle Paul. Here's a couple of reasons why we see this or why we think this may be the case. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is one of them. It says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as am I. I think this at ease is not only that they give him some food and a place to sleep, but that his spirit would be at ease. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 6. This is one of the things that needs to be encouraged in Timothy. Verses 6 and 7, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. But why would he have to tell him to fan it into flame if he had not maybe been tempted to let it smolder? And then, more directly, For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. Timothy is not a missionary commando. He needs a little help and encouragement along the way because maybe he's a little bit timid. Some people need to be pulled back in the pride of their bombastic skills, and others need to be stirred up and encouraged and and pressed a little bit. And Paul seems to be intent on making sure that that's the case with Timothy. He's not left to his, his fears, not left to his temptations, not left to his discouragement, but that he is able to continue on in his work. These two and their relationship is going to come through the pages of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, of course. But in 1 Timothy, we're going to see that their relationship and the things they've interacted over are going to come through. It is likely... That Paul writes this letter not haphazardly out of nowhere, but probably Timothy is wrestling with the responsibilities that he has in the church of Ephesus, which is the location where this letter was written. Timothy seems to have been installed as the leader over that church. He is now settled in a place. He saw the missionary journeys, he came along with Paul in many different instances, but now he has been appointed at this important church He was to remain at Ephesus, but the task that he has is very difficult because he has to deal with real people. He has to deal with all the problems and all of their questions. And so, I think we could say that this is an ongoing conversation they have and that Timothy perhaps is discouraged. Maybe he doesn't know what to do Maybe the questions that are being asked don't have easy answers. Maybe he feels as though he is being buffeted, not only in spirit, but by the people around him. And Paul says, let me remind you and set down some order for this place. So, order in the house is the theme, it's the purpose that Paul gives us. He has every right to, re- to write this letter because he is an apostle and he is following the command of God. We know the relationship that he has with Timothy who is positioned at Ephesus, a skillful and gifted pastor who may be discouraged by what he finds. And these are the themes that we're going to find and pay attention to as you read. And I would invite you to be reading this book as we study it. These are some of the themes that we're going to be finding. I'm going to list six of them. And I promise that I'm not going to take as much time. These aren't six points. I'm just going to lay them out. The first and perhaps the most obvious that we're going to find as we dive into it is that Paul is concerned with ordered doctrine, ordered doctrine, right thinking, false teaching has come into the church and constantly threatens to bring not only dissension, but just chaos and instability. So, Paul is going to be very concerned with ordered doctrine. Second, he is thematically going to be very concerned with ordered worship. What happens when you gather, and how do you do this well, and what is out of bounds and what is in bounds? So, ordered doctrine and then ordered worship. He's also going to be concerned with ordered leadership in the church ordered leadership. There will be very clear instructions for who should be in charge and how you choose them and how they're supposed to be qualified for the leadership that they're given. And not only leadership in in spiritual things, but leadership in ministry things, in mercy kind of things. There are concerns with elders and deacons. So, we have ordered doctrine and ordered worship and ordered leadership, but also, and these are not untied from one another, they're closely aligned He's going to be very concerned with ordered morality, ordered lives, that how we live is important. Godliness, holiness is going to be something that is a theme of this book. Fifth, I would say that he is concerned with ordered mercy, ordered mercy there are social responsibilities that are going to be addressed. There's a whole section in 1 Timothy about what to do with the widows in their midst, the people who are finding themselves in desperate or underprivileged situations. And he gives them instruction and says, this thing's out of control. You think the social security system is bad, right? This is out of control. So he was concerned with ordered mercy. And then finally, he is concerned with ordered, uh, uh, this is a very technical term in theological, but ordered stuff, stuff. Uh, I, you could say it differently. Uh, you could say ordered possessions, or maybe ordered, ordered money, ordered finances, because greed and material wealth in Ephesus, Ephesus is we're going to learn is a port city, if you think about it now, in modern-day Turkey, it's, it's right on the what would be the western edge of Turkey and had become a very influential port city with a lot of sophisticated people coming in and out and a temptation toward the power and status of money. And so, Paul is going to help Timothy think through the church's doctrine, their teaching, to make sure that it's ordered, and their worship, their gatherings, and who is in charge and how should it look, and also their leadership, to make sure that it's not out of control. He's going to be concerned for their lives, to make sure that there are ordered lives, that godliness is a proper pursuit, that the way they interact with one another and show mercy to people in need is done correctly, and then finally that they are not given over to attitudes and spirits of greed. So if you have a mind to learn, and if you have a heart to be changed, and if you have a desire to say, I I want to know where I am in the world and what my obligations and responsibilities are, then this letter, I believe, is going to serve you. It's going to help make sure that we do not fall into the spirit of the age, which basically says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And my prayer and my desire would be that that is not said of us, that we find freedom by joyfully entering into our responsible relationships. Let's pray. God, I ask that your spirit would work in us as we consider this book and all the details of Timothy's position, his post, his ministry all of the problems that arise, I pray, God, that this book would not be foreign and far off, but more and more it would feel specific and near. It would be helpful for our context. God, we're not immune. We've not been promised a, an easy path that we would never deal with these same kind of things. My guess is, is that we'll, we'll have to confront false and faulty thinking. We have questions about how to gather, and we have a desire for right leadership. We want justice to be done in our midst, mercy to flow from us in the right ways. And all these themes and all these concepts, God, give us a a delight and a joy and an anticipation and eagerness to learn from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.